0: Peggy's going to read to you a passage of scripture that continues sort of what I've been walking through in in uh, this summer in the book of Acts. It's how the church expanded. And in your bulletin, some no of you are pulling to it now, there is a printed uh, printing of, of this scripture passage. I'm going to ask you all, if you would, to take it out and look at it. And then even more, I'm going to ask you if you could keep it out. Because there will be a couple moments in this message I'm going to actually have us pause and ask you to write something down in those lines underneath the scripture. Okay, So now probably a good time to grab a pencil or pen or whatever and uh, have that in front of you. But uh, not, not only read the word, but hear the word as Peggy shares it with us from, uh, from Acts. I want to sort of give some context here. We may know the story of Saul conversion in Acts. It's one of those dramatic come to Jesus moments when he's been persecuting the church and on this road to Damascus, God Jesus appears to him and calls him out. And he's so overwhelmed by the power and love of Christ that he literally falls off the donkey. And uh, it's just the line there in the road, his entire life turned upside down. He's, he's literally physically blinded by what has happened, by seeing the glory around him. And in that state, he's in need of trying to make sense of what happened. And God calls Ananias to come and minister to him. Ananias comes and finds Saul. Now, I've got to be honest with you, Ananias didn't want to go at first. Why? Because he knew Saul as the guy who was putting Christians in jail and worse. And so he didn't want to go. But God said, no, I need you to go to him because this thing has happened to him. Ananias goes. He ministers to Saul. He helps Saul make sense of what's happening. And as he explains the word of God to Saul, the scales come off his eyes. He can see again. And Ananias helps him be baptized. And if it weren't for Ananias, Saul would be just a guy laying by the side of the road. We wouldn't have the Apostle Paul who Saul became. His name changed as his transformation continued. The church would not have had the evangelistic outreach that he alone provided. We may not be here today Without Ananias. But how many of you thought of Ananias lately? How many of you have named your children Ananias? And yet, people like Ananias are critical with their work of encouragement for the greater ministry. And what happens now in the scripture Cindy's going to read is we realize it's not just Ananias, but Barnabas plays a critical role in helping Saul continue in his faith journey and the church to continue to grow. So I invite you to hear Cindy Eshi, who tells us what happens next in the story.
1: For several days, Saul was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem among those who involved this name? And has he not come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? Saul became increasingly more powerful and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. After some time had passed... The Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night so that they might kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. When he had come to Jerusalem, Saul attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and described for them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. So Saul went in and out among them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord, He spoke and argued with the Hellenists, but they were attempting to kill him. When the believers learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and set him off to Taurus. Meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was built up. Living in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks,
0: Thanks be to God. to God. Thank you, Cindy. you join with me in a word of prayer? Gracious, loving, and eternal God, take now these moments of reflection. Allow the words of my mouth, the thoughts of our hearts and minds to be empowered by your spirit, taking us to where you need us to be taking us to the place where you need us to grow and serve. We humbly ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, once again, we find ourselves in that wonderful tension of the last couple weeks of August. It is August 20th. I still can't believe that to be true. I am clinging to August like with a death grip. I have my feet sticking out trying to push September away as hard as I can, and yet it keeps coming. Oh, I want a little bit more summer, amen? But it's going to not stay August. It is coming, and soon a lot of families in this community and in our church are going through that transition of getting ready to start school and all that comes with it. We know that right now, There are many who have tears and sleepless nights and shopping trips and anxiety, wondering if there will be anybody likable in the classroom. And the students are stressed too. The students are stressed around thinking what their new world will be like. And parents are living with the emotional highs and lows of their children and the stress of soon-to-be-long homework nights and scheduled demands. There's already conversations I've overheard of parents trying to figure out in the calendar how to fit in. School, community, extracurricular, and church activities punt the personal time. It's just insane. And thinking about this took me back this last week to the fall of 1992, Laura and I had just moved to Chelsea, where I was going to take over as senior pastor of that congregation. And Emily and Elizabeth came along as well, of course. Emily being in the fifth grade, and Elizabeth was in the third grade. That's a tough age to move because it's the age when you leave friends behind. You know, friends you're leaving behind, and a community and a church that they loved. And it was a tough transition. And it wasn't made any easier when we discovered. The Chelsea, a wonderful school system, had this program where from the early elementary grades, they took the kids for six weeks each year to the high school pool for swim lessons. So the classmates Emily was going to go meet had been taking these lessons for four years or something like that, and Emily had never had a swim lesson and didn't know how to swim. So now not only was she walking into a new community, new church, new school, but she knew she was going to have to go to a pool with a bunch of people who knew how to swim. She was stressed. She was upset. And you know where that stress and upset goes if your fifth grader is stressed and upset. And Laura and I tried to reassure, but we really had nothing. And nothing was working. And we went and met with Mrs. McConey. Emily's fifth grade teacher. And in that conversation, Mrs. McConey listened with both ear and heart. And a little while later, we received a phone call at the house from Mrs. McConey, and the call was for Emily. She was inviting Emily to come to a party she was having. Now, the party was going to be at the school pool. And at this party were about four or five girls that she had cherry-picked off the class list that she thought might make good friends for Emily. And so on a Friday night, on her own time, before school started, Emily, Mrs. McConey, and about four or five other girls met at the pool, not to take swim lessons, but just to hang out and make friends. I can tell you that out of that group of four or five girls, some of them remained Emily's lifelong friends. I can also tell you that that invitation and word and experience of encouragement she received from Mrs. McConey changed how she began fifth grade. She walked in already having friends before school started, and she was no longer at least as anxious about swim lessons as she had been before. Now, you can imagine what our family thinks About Mrs. McConey. She's up here. Because that's the kind of teacher she was always with every student. She listened with both ears and heart. She was willing to take up her own personal time to care for her students, and she taught them rather than got them ready for testing. She's an amazing gift to our family, an amazing gift to Emily. She's the one who actually really brought Emily into the Chelsea schools and we are indebted to her, remain so. That gift of encouragement meant everything to Emily and to our family. And encouragement is a critical gift we all need if we're going to have success in life. If we're going to go to our next step in our faith journey, we need encouragement, which is why I believe it's one of the spiritual gifts that God gives us. Saul needed encouragement in his faith journey. He's converted by Jesus, yes, in this powerful come-to-Jesus moment. But without Ananias coming to his rescue and being there to care for him, he would have been stilted at the moment of his conversion and never gone further. And in the story that just was read to you by Cindy, Barnabas is critical You see, when Saul started preaching the gospel after Ananias ministered to him, he was very effective because he's preaching this powerful message of transformation because it was his story. He wasn't eloquent because he had had great preaching classes. He was eloquent because he had a story that people could connect with. You knew what I used to be like. Look at me now, and it's not me, it's Jesus. And people responded to that. Non-believers became believers in large number because Paul's passion had now been given to this purpose of proclaiming Christ, and he did so because of what Christ had done in his life. Non-believers accepted Saul, but the church leaders, they still saw him as potentially an enemy. They still remembered him as the guy when he would knock on the door, he was coming to take you away. So he wasn't getting in. He wasn't going to be recognized by the church in Jerusalem. That wasn't until Barnabas came along. And Barnabas saw in Saul the authentic faith that was his, his real relationship with Christ, the change that had happened in him. And he could look beyond the history and see the present reality. And he encouraged Saul, and he took Saul with him. The scripture says it this way. Barnabas took Saul, brought him to the apostles and described for them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in. And because Barnabas encouraged him, because Barnabas encouraged the existing church, they formed a relationship. And they authorized Saul, soon to be Paul, his name changing to reflect a change in his life, to go out and evangelize the Gentile world. And he did and we are here today because of that. And without Ananias and without Barnabas, that would never have happened. We wouldn't be here today. and Who knows what the church would have looked like. Saul needed to be encouraged. The church needed to be encouraged. We all need encouragement in our life. And Barnabas had that gift in, in such large level. Barnabas is called the son of encouragement. And the Greek definition of encouragement means to come alongside someone. For Christians, the scriptural understanding of encouragement is not to be a cheerleader from a far distance. It's not to say, hey, Lisa, you go, girl, and I keep my distance to see what happens. It means I come alongside that person, and I walk with them, and we share our lives with each other, the highs and the lows, and we stay present to each other to encourage each other in faith and in our faith walk. In the church, the gift of encouragement is critical for how we love and care for each other and how we invite others to come into faith. Let me ask you this question. Right now, could you think of one or two people, maybe three in your life, whose encouragement made a big difference in your life? Can you think of someone? Take just a second. Someone who encouraged you by being not only words but presence to you to help you on your journey. How many of you can think of someone? I'm going to invite you to do two things with that. One, I'm going to invite you at some point today, not now, to take a moment to give God thanks for that person and to ask God to bless them or those people. Remember them in prayer. And maybe... Give them a phone call. Write them a note. Let them know you still remember how important that was in their life. This past week, there's been an awful lot of buzz about last week's sermon, and, and in it, uh, there's been some travel on, on, on the internet, and a and, uh, long story I made short, I heard back from one of my kids, one of my kids, you know, who, who heard about it, who's now, you know, like in her 30s. But she just wanted to say thanks for the impact that it had in her life when she was a kid. You think that doesn't make a difference in how you walk through the day? You can be that to somebody today by sharing your thanks to somebody who's encouraged you. I invite you to do that. But I also invite you to understand that not only going back down memory lane and thanking those who encouraged you in the past, the gift of encouragement is critical in the life of the church today. Each one of us is called to be a spirit and a voice in the presence of encouragement, a encouragement that is affirming, that sees in people the potential of what God might do, and to encourage that giftness in them, sometimes even when they can't see it for themselves. Now encouragement is always honest. You don't encourage somebody to disaster. If I ever come up to you and say, you know, I'm really convicted that I'm going to pursue my singing career, you're not doing the world a favor by encouraging me. You need to say, that's nice, Rick, but... Stand alongside those who are trying to pursue their dreams and fulfill God's call in their life and be honest with them, but always with encouragement, because it makes all the difference in the world. In a world that has lost its ability to think that encouraging is the primary voice, we need to hear again the witness of Barnabas and the power of Ananias to give the gift of encouragement. Today, I got to baptize a beautiful young lady. Amen? Amen. Emma did fantastic. And in my arms, she didn't cry. (laughs) I'm just saying. But when she was baptized, you heard him make vows, right? And that vow says... Lisa, you never have to spend a day in your life doing this alone as a mom. I know you've got family, strong family support. I got that. But you've got a faith community that is here for every one of these baptized children, including that one. Aaron, you never have to be a dad alone. There are fathers in this room who have raised daughters. You will need us. And we promise to be there with you when she's not nearly as cute or friendly as she is right now. Fathers of daughters, say amen. Amen. We need to be there for each other as a community of faith to encourage each other and to encourage in Lynn the best of what God desires for her. And if nothing else is possible, is it not this that perhaps Emmeline and her peers would come to know that in a world that judges and analyzes, that this is a place that encourages and instills hope? That's what the church is. So God has always intended. This past week, I was uh, captured by a picture that perhaps you saw. It. I'm old enough Howie Long was a football hero of mine growing up. Guys, you see Howie Long? Remember? Football player. Remember Howie Long? Anyway, he has two sons who are both in the NFL, which is saying something. And Chris Long plays for the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, you may know that in sports over the last couple years, particularly in the NFL, there have been uh, players who have, by acts of protest, uh, sat during the national anthem or in other ways, made statements about their discomfort with the unrest in our country and racism being manifested. But in all of those protests, it seems to me that I've seen people sitting by themselves on a bench. But this last week in a pre ceremony where they were playing the national anthem, Chris Long was standing there, his hand over his chest, the way I was taught. And next to him was Malcolm Jenkins... An African American Philadelphia Eagle football player, who during the um, national anthem was standing like this, in protest of the dis- dysfunctions of our society. But as he stood like this, Chris Long stood next to him like this, and like this, and put his arm around Chris Jenkins. I mean, um, Malcolm Jenkins. And after the after the uh, game, obviously he was asked about it. And Chris said this. I was taught to stand and put my hand over my heart whenever I heard the national anthem. And I do so because for me, when I see the flag, it means something. But I understand that for Malcolm and others, it may have other meanings as well. So I support his right to do what he needs to do. But as a brother... As a brother, they're on the same football team. As a brother, I want him to know he doesn't stand alone. If you can get that kind of brotherhood in a football team, do you not think those who come together in the name of Jesus Christ ought to be able to find a way to stand up even in the things we disagree about and offer unity and care and love to each other and encourage each other on our witness of our life even if they don't exactly line up together perfectly. We come here in the name of Christ. And we all have things we agree on and we all have things we disagree on. And on the day when Ananias was sent to go see Saul, and on the day when Barnabas went and advocated for him in front of the disciples, they didn't sit there and say, well, here are the things we disagree with him about. They stood together alongside him and offered encouragement. This church has to become, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and because of the need in our society, a place of radical encouragement where God is moving and helping each person to claim the path that Christ is leading them on, even when we have differences. That's encouragement. with people who only think like you is not encouragement, it's just agreement. Encouragement is asking that which is even deeper than what I think to be active, and that's the power and presence of God. And so church, I'm asking you, to do this this week. Would you be willing to commit to right now finding three times this week Will you will offer encouragement to someone else? Encouragement when they're in a place where they really need someone to come alongside them and to offer support for them as a person and as a child of God. Would you do it three times this week? It's okay if it spills over to four. And if this week you could do that just that many times, then what about after this week, signing up to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in a community of Jesus Christ that will offer encouragement as a way of life? If Ananias and Barnabas had not done it, the faith would have never gotten out of Jerusalem. What's at stake if we withhold ours? Hal just celebrated adult education. And I'm teaching Mark in October. Megan's doing a class on world religions in, in November. Hal's doing the class about faith for an adult walk. And I know when I hear those things, what I do naturally, I go, well, do I have time? Do I have interest? Right? And, you know, let's take my class. Maybe, you know, Paul here, he's an expert in Mark anyway, so he's probably going to say, I don't need that class. I'm already an expert. I know more than Rick. But what if we started asking it this way? Not, what do I need? But who else needs to be there that I could encourage by my presence? Who could I go with? Who could come with me that because I go, they'll go, and they need it? who because I sit in the class will feel better because there are more people in the class? What about worship? Do I need to get to worship today? No, Rick's preaching. Yeah, but even so, maybe your presence here will be of support to someone else. That's a community of encouragement. I invite all of us to understand the joy that we have to give to each other as encouragers in Christ. Amen.